All right, it's so good to be here tonight. If you're new, I just want to say welcome. It's cool to see the new faces tonight, the week before spring break, coming and checking us out. We're so grateful you're here. And we just pray tonight. You know, this might be different for you, but I just pray that you would feel at home in this place and that you would encounter God's love for you. I pray if you get anything tonight that you would know that God loves you and he has a plan for your life, I just pray that that would be deposited into your heart. And if you're back, I want you to know that I love you and Jesus loves you and I'm glad you're my friend and you're still here and we're all friends. Okay, Victor, thanks for coming tonight. I love you, bro. All right, I'm just doing the shout-outs tonight. It's because I didn't have coffee. I'm kind of all over the place. All right, so it helps me focus somehow. But anyways, uh, yeah, so do you remember your first experience of being in a worship service like this where people are raising their hands and singing loud and some people clap, some people get even crazier and drop to their knees once in a while? Do you remember the first time you're in that setting? Like maybe it was tonight and you're like, what? And the stink is this place. These people are weird. All right, nobody thought that? Okay, good, I'm glad. I grew up in churches like this, so it's something I'm very used to. However, I remember in high school getting to this point, you know, I was in a bad place with Jesus, just wasn't really following him, but I was still in the church. And I remember getting to this place where I just grew very disillusioned with the way we worship. You know, I thought a couple of things. I thought either like, when people worship, like, like going all out, they're just being fake, right? They're just trying to have people look at them and see them and be like, wow, they're spiritual. Or I thought, you know, if we don't have our lives cleaned up, then we can't worship in that way because we're being hypocritical. If we're going to come and worship and be spiritual and put our hands in the air, but we've lived in a bad way that week, I thought we were being hypocritical. So I remember one time I was at a youth gathering. It was over in Bentendorf, Iowa. Do you know where that is? Okay, a couple of people have been there. It's okay if you haven't been there. You're not missing much. But so Bentendorf, I'm kidding. But uh, so I was at this youth gathering, and I remember there's this kid with long hair. It's like right in the front, just like headbanging the whole time during worship. You know, just a crazy kid. And I was like, that guy is not legit. Like, he's just trying to show off. And I did notice, too, like his hair was over his eyes, and he'd peek over at that girl, see if she's looking. He'd be like, yeah. You know? And I just remember sitting there, like, all cynical and critical and, and thinking, wow, either one, he's being fake, or two, he didn't live very well that week, so he shouldn't be worshiping like that. Um, I can remember another time, too, when I went to a youth conference. It was like the same year, and I was just a butt that year. But I went to this youth conference, and I told God, I said, I'm going to sit in the back. I'm going to cross my arms. And if you want to do something, you got to knock me over. You know, I'm not going to engage. I'm just going to sit here. And if you're really God, then you'll do something. And, like, I'm just the kind of guy who likes to worship. So it only took, like, two songs, and I was like, okay, I'm ready to worship. <laughs> but, uh, but I thought that, you know, worship, I kind of have this view of the worship service as something that kind of happens to you. Uh, it's not as much, you know, something you engage in. It's more like you go and Holy Spirit just knocks you over or something. And that was just a really bad theology. You know, it was a bad theology, too, that I thought, hey, you have to live perfectly that week to worship. You know, I can remember I led worship for Chi Alpha uh, my first couple of years. Uh, be glad you weren't here during that time. The singing was bad. But I led worship. And I remember if I had sinned that day, I would just feel like there's no reason why I should be leading worship right now. I, I I really made worship all about me. I made it all about how I had behaved that week, and I made it all about what would happen to me when, in, in all actuality, good theology says that, that worship's all about Jesus. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's about Jesus, right? And two, good worship or, or biblical worship is something you engage in. You're giving God praise. You're ascribing him praise. You're saying you are worthy. You deserve the praise. It's not about something happening to you. I promise you, as you engage in that worship, something might happen to you. God might transform your heart, and we'll talk about that a bit tonight. But 
I share all that to say this. I just want to say this. I, I think there's a lot of confusion uh, surrounding musical worship. I'm talking specifically about musical worship. We worship God with our lifestyles as well, but I think there's confusion. I think, you know, there are arguments in the church about whether or not we should worship like a rock concert, which is kind of more where we lean. I don't think that's like from the Bible. We just like that kind of music. Uh, or we should worship with a hymn book. Like neither is right or wrong, but there's battles going on in the church, okay? Uh, what's the right way to worship? Or, uh, or many of us in this room, we uh, come from backgrounds that, that didn't uh, worship in this way. You know, we're used to more of the hymn book or the solemn worship. Or some of us come from backgrounds like this, and we've always worshiped this way, and it's gotten to this place where we are just going through the motions. Or some of you have never been in a setting like this, and you're still trying to figure out, what do I do during the first 20 minutes of Chi Alpha? Do I have my hands in my pockets? Do I do this? Do I do this? Do I do this? Do I get on my knees? I don't know what to do. This is incredibly awkward. Can this just get over with? Okay, That's where some of you are. The point I'm making is all of us come from different backgrounds. There's different perspectives. And there's a lot of confusion. But what I hope to do tonight is this, is not argue for a certain style of worship, because I don't really care. As long as you're giving Jesus praise, you can be just chanting like Gregorian chants. If that's your thing, go for it. Or you can be doing heavy metal. I don't really care. But what I want to do is talk about uh, just what true, authentic, biblical worship is, and talk about why we worship. Okay? And then in the next two weeks, we'll talk more about the how of worship. Uh, Derek Quimby is going to be preaching after spring break. The guy over here, my brother. So be excited for that. It'll be his first time preaching in Chi Alpha. So come ready to throw tomatoes. No, I'm kidding. Come ready to cheer him on and encourage him and, and give him a hug afterwards. Yeah, but tonight we're going to talk about the what and the why of worship. And, and we're kicking off our series called Sound of Heaven. Okay, Sound of Heaven. And our hope is that by the end of this series, you'll understand what worship is and why we worship and how we worship, and that you'll have a good biblical theology of it, unlike the grumpy senior Daniel in high school who is a butt. All right, so we pray that God will bring you deeper into this, and that ultimately what we want is for you to have a, a deeper and, and richer time of worship in Chi Alpha. So I'm going to try to keep my sermon sh a bit shorter over this series so we can have time to worship at the end and really apply it, okay? Because the whole goal is that you would learn to worship and be able to engage in it. So tonight, the sermon title is, This is What Heaven Sounds Like. This is what heaven sounds like. So tonight, we're going to establish the fact that, or that when we worship in song, we are joining in with the chorus in heaven. We are joining in with what is happening already in heaven, in the presence of Jesus. We're joining in with the sound of heaven. And as we look at heavenly worship and this idea of joining in with that, we'll establish what true biblical authentic worship is, okay? So uh, the way we're going to do that, though, is we're going to look at the book of Revelation in chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab them and turn there. And we're going to be in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 4. All right, there's not enough Bibles turning. You guys need to get some paper Bibles, I'm just saying, because I love my paper Bible. Like, it just looks cool, you know, just hanging up like, what's up? I don't know. But anyways, that's, that's a random point. Okay, get paper Bibles, but back to Revelation. Revelation is a great starting point for us as we seek to develop a good theology of worship as it depicts the worship that is happening in heaven in a couple different places in the text. Our goal should be that our worship lines up with the worship that is happening in heaven. That should be our goal. If you don't know much about Revelation, don't worry. I don't think there's very many people who do. Even people who claim to be experts on the book of Revelation actually don't know that much about it because it's very confusing. Okay? It's a very confusing book. It's apocalyptic. Okay? 
It's apocalyptic, which means that uh, John the writer wrote in these uh, symbolic ways to describe some things that are going to happen at the end, but he didn't only do that. He also wrote some other things, and in the first few chapters of Revelation, he uh, records uh, some letters that Jesus wanted to write to the churches at that time, okay? And then in chapter 4, which we'll look at tonight, in 5, he describes some worship that's happening in heaven. And then after that, it's more of the end times stuff. So if you were a kid who grew up in church and you saw Left Behind, how many people saw that movie? Okay, wow, a lot of church kids in this place. We need to get more unchurched kids in this place, I'm just saying. But, uh, okay, so you watch Left Behind, and then you're like, I got to see if it's in the book. And you look in Revelation, and you're like, I have no idea what's happening in here. Point is, in Revelation 6 through 22, it's more of the end times. It depicts what might happen at the end or what's going to happen, okay? But for our purposes, we're going to stay in chapter 4. Uh, we're not going to get into the apocalyptic stuff as much, and we're just going to look at the worship that's happening in heaven and try to see what it tells us about how we should worship when we come together on Tuesday nights and for church, okay? So verses 8 through 11, let's read it. And the four living creatures, you're like, wait, what's happening? Each of them with six wings, I'm telling you, nobody understands it, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, let me back up for a second. I was supposed to explain this. In this part of Revelation, we see that there are some living creatures who are worshiping God, four living creatures, and really, I think the reason, if you look in the verses prior, uh, John describes them, and you really, it just sounds crazy. I think the reason why uh, these living creatures are almost indescribable it's because they're indescribable. John can't even quite understand what he's seeing in heaven. Like these four living creatures are unlike anything he's ever seen on earth. Okay, so they're worshiping God. But then also we're going to see that there's 24 elders who are worshiping God. And there's some different conjectures about who these elders are. Some people think they're uh, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel, which you see in the Old Testament, and the 12 disciples who followed Jesus. Okay, so that's one conjecture. I don't know for sure, but we'll just go with that tonight. Okay, so the four living creatures are, are saying, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is, who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Come on, it's going to get good tonight, I pray, in, in the name of Jesus. All right, so the main idea is this. If you're taking notes, if you want to write down four words, or maybe it's five words, uh, these are the words. Worship prepares us for heaven. It is five words. I know how to count. It's worship prepares us for heaven, okay? That's the main thing I want you to get tonight. So when you come into this place and musical worship begins to go, the thing that is happening is we are prepping for heaven, and we're joining in with what's already happening in heaven, okay? So I want to pray over that, and then we're going to dive in a little bit more. So Jesus, I pray right now that you would just make this truth real to our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what true, biblical, authentic worship is, and I pray that you'd help us to see why we worship. And God, I don't just pray that we'd understand stuff in our head, but I pray that these truths would cause us to worship differently. God, I pray that each time we come to this place, each time we enter into your throne room as we pray in the morning, I pray that we would bring our best. God, I pray that we would worship with everything we have and give you the praise and the honor that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you get anything tonight, I pray that you would get that our worship prepares us for heaven, but also our worship is all about Jesus. 
It's all about getting the life of Jesus inside of us. And we worship because of who he is. We worship uh, not to have the feels, although sometimes we get the feels, right? The goosebumps when Katie Craig starts going, yeah, and starts singing. We get the feels, all right? But that's not what it's about. It's not about getting the feels. It's not about having an experience. It's about giving Jesus the praise and the honor that he deserves. Jesus is the what and Jesus is the why of worship, which leads me to my first point. The first thing is this. Worship prepares us for heaven by teaching us how to behold Jesus, by teaching us to behold Jesus. So what do I mean by this? I want to unpack a couple of terms. One is worship. So what is worship? I think you know what it is, but I'll give you the dictionary definition. Worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for our deity, okay? For us, Jesus. And one of the primary ways we do this as Christians is we sing songs together. We see it all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, is they sang songs to Jesus. That's a way of beholding him, of giving him adoration and reverence. And, and what does behold mean? Just in case you don't know what it means, it means to see or observe, okay? So when we behold, I'm going to use that word a lot tonight, we're looking at Jesus, we're observing Jesus. When you behold something, you are gazing at it. So when we worship in song, essentially what we're doing is staring at the person of Jesus and telling him what we love about him. We're trying to fixate our eyes on Christ. We're, perhaps we're thinking through the Gospels and the things that he did in the Gospels and trying to get an accurate picture of him, and we're adoring him, and we're giving him praise. We're trying to focus on him. It's not about us. It's about focusing on him. So worship, simply put, is setting aside time, or setting aside time to behold Jesus. We're setting aside time to be reminded of who Christ is and why we love him. And we're hoping that his heart, as we fixate our eyes on him, will be deposited into us. So when we do this, we are preparing for heaven. We're preparing for the primary activity that each of us, if we're going to heaven, are going to participate in. When heaven and earth meet at the end of the age, we're going to continually, day and night, behold the Christ. We're going to behold Jesus. No, we're not just going to sing worship songs, so don't worry if you don't really like songs. We'll do some of that, but we're also going to do normal things. Christianity does not teach that your soul is going to like disappear into heaven and your body is just left here. Instead, Christianity teaches that at the end of the age, Christ is going to raise all of our bodies up from the dead. Scary, right? Sounds like, what's that show, that the zombie show, Walking Dead? Okay, so we're coming up from the grave and we're going to have real resurrected bodies. And if you're wondering what these bodies will be like, look in the last chapter of John. Jesus has a resurrected body and he eats food. He walks through walls. I'm just saying that might be a perk of heaven, right? Walking through walls? Come on. I'm excited. But we're going to have real bodies and we're going to actually be on earth. There's going to be, or heaven and earth are going to come together and become one. Okay, I don't quite understand it completely, but I think we're going to still live relatively normal human lives, but we're just going to have resurrected bodies. We're not going to sin, and it's going to be a perfected earth that is uh, collided with heaven, okay? So point is, we're not just going to sing. We're going to do other things. We're going to eat food. We're going to chill out. We're going to have fun. But throughout this time, it's all going to be about Jesus. No matter what you're doing, no matter if you're eating or you're drinking or you're singing or, or whatever, it's all going to be for the glory of God. It's all going to be about beholding Jesus, Heaven is for people who actually want to be around Jesus. That's why some people are, are going to hell. They don't want to be around Jesus. That's the reality. 
People in hell, I really, and I could be wrong. I don't have a verse to point at. But I really think that people who are in hell don't want to be around Jesus. You know, Dallas Bullard, he's a, a famous pastor and theologian. He said this. He said, I'm quite sure that God would let anyone into heaven who could possibly stand it. Saying, like, if they actually wanted to be there, God would let them in. But hell is choosing, hey, I'd rather do my own thing. I don't really want to behold Jesus for eternity. Right? Because if someone doesn't love Jesus, why would they want to behold him for eternity? Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, said the same thing, but in a different way. He said, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. That's a provocative quote. I encourage you to go and, and, and study that and look into that. I'm not saying that's complete truth. I'm saying that this is what some theologians have thought over the years, okay? So there's no clear verse that says that, but I really think that people in hell choose to be there, and people who are in heaven want to be around Jesus, right? God's not going to make people. God gives us, you know, free will. He's not going to make people be around him if they don't want to, because heaven is all about beholding the Christ. It's all about beholding Jesus. In Revelation chapter 22, it even goes as far to say that in heaven, Jesus is going to be like the sun. Jesus himself is going to provide the light for us to see where we're going. It says this in verse 3 through 5. It says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And the Lamb is Jesus, okay? And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Okay, so if you don't like Jesus, you don't want his name on your forehead. I'm just saying. Okay, and then verse 5. And night will be no more, and they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever so when we worship, we are learning to behold Jesus. And we're learning to, or to allow the rays of his love to enter into our hearts and provide our sustenance. We're learning to stare into the face of Jesus. And in Revelation 4, we see that the elders and the creatures are beholding Jesus. And, and there's a few specific things they're looking at when they look at Jesus. There's a few things they notice about Jesus, a few things that drive them to worship. And there's other things, but these are just the things we see in Revelation chapter 4, the first thing comes from verse 8. It says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So the first thing that they behold about Jesus is his holiness. So when we worship, let's apply this to now. When you worship, stare at the holiness of God. Stare at the holiness of Jesus. What does holiness mean? It, it primarily means to be separate. It means complete purity. So when we worship, we declare the separateness of God, the otherness of God. We declare his purity. And we marvel at the fact that although our world is full of evil and decay, Jesus stands completely pure. And we marvel at the fact that Jesus came to earth and he never sinned once. He surely was tempted big time, but he never sinned once. That's our God. And we're driven to all that God is utterly Pure. He's perfect. There's no blemish. There's no spot in him. He is perfection. That is our God. He is completely good. He's completely pure. So when you worship, think about his holiness. Think about that he is other than anything you've ever seen. He's completely pure. Okay, second thing you should behold is the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of Jesus. So don't only, or don't only look at the holiness of God, but also look at his sovereignty. So what is sovereignty? Our sovereignty is this idea that God has of the utmost power and authority to do whatever he wants. And we see this in two different ways in our passage. We see it in verses 8 through 9. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Okay, so declaring his eternal, or his eternal being, the fact that he's always been there, he's always going to be there. 
And we see that he's been here since the beginning. He's going to be here to the end. He's eternal. He doesn't change. He doesn't get tossed to and fro. He's not unaware of the circumstances of your life, but he's completely aware. He's involved. He's intimately interested in your life. He sees everything that's ever happened in your life. He sees everything that's going to happen. He was. He is. He is to come. He is the sovereign Lord, the King of Kings. He sees it all. Okay, but it's not just that. He doesn't just see everything, but he's also completely powerful. He's completely powerful. We see this in in verse 11, we see, it says, For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It says that he should receive glory and honor and power. So not only is, is Jesus eternal, but he's powerful. He's in control. He's able to do anything. And nothing is too hard for the arm of God. He's able to do anything. Guys, so when we worship, what do we do? We behold the sovereignty of God that he's eternal, he sees it all, but he's also completely able to do anything he wants. He is powerful. A God who's eternal and he's good, we've already established that with the holiness, and who's completely powerful, ooh, that's a God who deserves worship and praise. It doesn't matter how you behave that week, he deserves it. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table, God deserves worship and we, we, and when we don't give him worship, we're not giving him what he deserves. It's his right for you to praise him with your lips and we're robbing him from that because we're looking at ourselves and saying, I'm so crummy, I'm not holy. I'm not eternal. I just got a sinusitis this week. Like, that was me. Okay, I'm not eternal. I'm just, like, struggling over here. I'm not powerful. I can't even pass that chemistry exam. And we don't look at ourselves. We look at God, okay? We look at God's holiness, his sovereignty, okay? And then there's one more thing that they beheld about Jesus in, in verses 10 through 11. It says, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. Think about your biggest achievement in life. The elders are saying, I'm casting my crowns before Jesus. Even my biggest accomplishments are like filthy rags compared to God. They're like filthy rags compared to Jesus. And then it says, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Again, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So third thing, last thing. Well, there's other things, but these are the things we see in the book of Revelation, when you behold Jesus, behold, or behold his worthiness. Behold the worth of God. Behold the worthiness of Jesus. Tell him that he is worth it all. In heaven, the elders, the greatest church leaders and, and Old Testament leaders who have ever lived, they are casting their crowns before the king, declaring that Jesus is worthy of glory and honor and power. So, guys, we should look at the fact that he is worthy. And we should be driven to all. Often when I worship, all I can say is, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. It's all I can say because I just, I totally know I'm not worthy. I'm sinful. But God is worthy. And why is he worthy? It's a good question. Thank you for asking. That joke's going to get old someday, but I'm still going to keep trying. Okay, verse, or chapter 5 uh, tells us why Jesus is worthy, okay? So let's read this really quick. It says, and they sang a new song saying, they're saying, worthy are you to take the scroll Okay, so the scroll just kind of contains God's purposes for history. I'm not going to get into that tonight. Again, apocalyptic literature. Point is, Jesus is the only one who's worthy to take the scroll and to, and to open the seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The reason that Jesus is worthy to, to open the scroll is he spilled his blood to ransom people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
And that's why we can send missionaries to hard places and to unreached peoples or people groups with confidence because we know that Jesus said he will redeem people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Jesus gave his life so we could live. That's why he's worthy. The perfect one, the holy one, gave it all so you could have eternal life, so you could be holy, so you could live for eternity, so, or so you could sit on his throne with him. He gave his life for you. That's why the lamb is worthy. Jesus is the greatest king of all time because he gave his life for his people. That's why the lamb is worthy. And so some of my most uh, significant moments with God have come in times of worship. I can remember one time in 2016, January of 2016, is that winter conference is my first year as the director here. And, and we were worshiping God to the song Broken Vessels, if you've ever heard of that, by Hillsong, maybe not. It's a little bit older now, but we're worshiping. And all of a sudden, it's just like I got, there's this vision that came to me. It felt like I was in heaven. And, and I just looked and I saw Jesus as he's described in Revelation uh, with these eyes that are or flames of fire, and he was just looking at me. Like, he looked like something completely different than I've ever pictured when I think of Jesus. These, these eyes that are like flames of fire and like this white hair, and I'm just looking into the person of Jesus, and in that moment, I felt like Jesus was saying to me, he was saying, don't fear, Daniel. I'm powerful. I have it all. And in that moment, something shifted in my life. I saw Jesus. I'm not saying I saw the actual Jesus. I saw a picture or a vision in my head the point is, I looked at Jesus, I beheld him, and it changed me in that moment. I knew that he had my life in his hand, that he was worthy, that he's eternal, that he's powerful, that he is holy, and he has my life in his hands. That's why we worship. We want to get in a posture. That doesn't happen for me often. Most of the time when I'm worshiping, I'm thinking about Facebook. I'm like, uh, I got a, a, a buzz in my pocket. I got to look at it. You know, it's hard to focus, right? Especially us, because we're in like the most, you know, uh, completely unfocused generation, right? Because we have all the things going off. But our goal in worship, your goal when you come in here should be like, I'm going to try to get, get rid of all the distractions and try to get into a place where I can stare at the person of Jesus and give him the praise that he deserves. I pray that we would do that. The point is you need, or the point is that our worship is all about beholding Jesus. It's about trying to get your heart in a posture where you can fixate on him and adore him. Jesus is the what of worship. He's also the why. We worship him because he deserves it. But there's also one other reason we worship, okay? And I think this is our big application point for tonight. And this is our last point. Our second point is this. Worship prepares us for heaven by transforming us into the likeness of Christ. When heaven and earth meet at the end of the age and Jesus sets everything right, we will be perfect and we will be holy. We'll finally be the people that God intended us to be without blemish or spot. This this theological term for becoming more holy is called sanctification, okay? And sanctification is something that happens throughout our lives. We continually, if we're connected to Jesus, become holier and holier and holier as we live as Christians. But complete holiness does not come until we see Jesus face to face. Worship is one of the ways that God helps us become more holy. It's one of the ways that he sanctifies us. As we behold Jesus, he gets inside of us. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Point is, when you fixate your heart 
and behold the glory of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, transformation happens inside of you. It helps you become more like him. So worship is a discipleship tool. It helps us to become like Jesus. It helps us to become disciples. It helps us to be transformed. And so this is another way that our worship prepares us for heaven. Because when heaven meets earth, all sin is going to be washed away. And we're going to be without sin. So when we worship, we're preparing for that. So I want to take one second here and look at each of the attributes I described. So holiness and sovereignty and worthiness. And talk about how when we behold those things, it changes us. So first thing is holiness. When we behold the holiness of Jesus, we become more holy. As you stare at the, at the holiness of God, it causes you to become more holy. Because you're filled with gratitude that this holy God, who is far above us, this God made forgiveness available to you by sending his son to die on a cross for your sins. When you are completely unworthy and unholy, the worthy and holy God gave his life for you. And this should cause us to be filled with gratitude as we look at that aspect of Jesus. It inspires us to respond by being like Jesus, by saying, I'm going to strive to be like Christ. So when we behold his holiness, it should cause us to, or to want to be more holy. The second thing is sovereignty. Okay, so uh, when we behold the sovereignty of Jesus, it helps us to cast our cares and our anxieties and our worries upon God. And that's what I'm saying, guys. If you struggle with depression and anxiety, you better be here on Tuesday nights. It's not better for you to sit in your dorm room. Like some of you say, I'm depressed tonight. I'm not going to come. I'm sorry, but that is straight from the pit of hell. The best way to get free of this stuff is to look at Jesus and say that he is above it all. He sees what I'm going through and he cares about me and I can put my cares at his feet. When we behold the sovereignty of God, it helps us to trust and to cast our worries upon him and to rest in his love and in his control. Okay, and then the third thing, when you behold the worthiness of Jesus, you want to give it all for him. Because as we're beholding his worthiness, it causes us to realize that he is worth giving everything up for. He's worth going to Egypt when you turn 18, right? He's worth raising money and traveling around saying, I want to go to Egypt and trying to raise money to go there. He's worth that. Jesus is worth your life. He's worth everything. Jesus did not just come to get you out of hell. Jesus came to set you on fire for the mission of God and to help other people encounter his love and get to heaven with you. So when you behold the worthiness of God, it should cause you to say, I'm holding nothing back. Our worship should, should be our fuel for mission. As we behold Jesus, we want to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples on this campus and all across the earth. Our worship should fuel our mission. As we behold his worthiness, we say he is worth giving everything up. I can remember another time I was worshiping in Minneapolis at, a, at the Bible college I attended, and I was just sitting before Jesus' feet at the altar and just worshiping him, and I felt like God was calling me to completely surrender my future to him. And I felt in that moment that God was saying, Daniel, I want you to give your life, your entire ministry life, to seeing Iowa come to know Jesus, seeing as many people in Iowa come to know Jesus as possible. And how many of you know, like, Iowa, like, I love Iowa, but I'm just saying, it's not like the place that people dream about going to, Right? But God put that dream in my heart. He said, I'm worth it. I'm worth you being in obscurity for your whole life. I did not call you to be famous. I did not call you to move to California and to try to be a famous pastor or something like that. I've called you to make disciples in the state of Iowa, a place that does not get a lot of recognition. And in that moment, 
I was ready to do it because I saw the worthiness of Jesus. And I said, he is worth this. He is worth putting all my dreams aside, all my dreams of living in a big city aside. And he's worth doing whatever he asked me to do. So I'm saying that to say this. If you want to become more like Jesus, you have to spend time beholding him. And you have to spend time worshiping him. If you want to get free of your sin, if you want to be able to count the cost and do what he's calling you to do, if you want to be able to trust him, get in his presence and worship him. All right, if the worship team would come, the main idea tonight is this. Worship prepares us for heaven. Our worship that happens in this place prepares us for heaven. So maybe you came in here tonight and you haven't known what true worship is. You haven't really quite understood why do we sing songs at the beginning of a church or church service. I pray tonight, if you get anything, that you would know that worship is all about Jesus. It's all about beholding Jesus. It's all about fixating your heart on him and telling him what you love about him. Or maybe you came in here tonight and you knew what worship is, but you weren't quite sure why we worship or why we sing songs at Kyle. Like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to sing to Jesus, but why do I do it? I pray tonight that you would just simply know that uh, the reason we worship is because we're giving Jesus the praise that he deserves. Jesus created every single human being on this earth, every single one, and all of them were made to worship him, but so many are not. Jesus is not getting the praise that he deserves. So when we come and we worship, we're giving God the glory that he deserves. Think about it. God created everything, and God loves everyone. God created this world good and perfect in the very beginning, and he had a plan for people but so many people in our world don't have any idea who Jesus is or want to worship him. Guys, so as the people of God, we have to worship him. He's worth it. Guys, we have to worship for all the people who aren't and worship and praise that God helped me to reach those people so that they can worship you. Jesus is after every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping him until he gets there. We should be worshiping him because he, deser- and because he deserves it. If you walked in here tonight, too, with this misconception that in order to worship, you have to have lived perfectly that week or walked in here without sin, I pray that you would know that worship is not about you. It's not about how well you behaved that week. We worship because Jesus is holy, and he saved us when we weren't. If worship has been about something or just about you experiencing something, like you like the feels you get, I'm just going to tell you, you can get those feels by listening to Coldplay. Hey, I get the feels when I listen to Coldplay. It's not about that. It's not about experiencing something, although you certainly will probably experience something, just like I talked about when I experienced things. I pray that you would know that worship is, is not about your feelings, but it's about something, it's about you making a decision to give God the praise he deserves. And as you do that, God will certainly meet you. And he'll change you, right? He'll transform you. Finally, if you came in here tonight, and if you're honest, you're not living in right relationship with God, I pray that you would taste his love tonight. I pray that before you head home for spring break or head to Trinidad or Ireland or whatever, I pray that you would taste the love of God. I pray that you would know that he has paid it all for you. Romans 5 eight says this. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us think about it. At the same time that each of us were unworthy, completely unable to bring anything to God, Jesus died for us. And that's why we can worship with confidence, right? We're not worshiping because of anything we did, but instead we worship because of what he did. And I pray tonight, if you haven't tasted the love of God, that you would be able to put your trust in him tonight. 
and allow him to be the Lord and the king of your life, to forgive you and to show you his love. Okay, so if you'd stand with me, we're gonna close. God is calling us to be a community of passionate worshipers who give Jesus everything we got. Week in and week out, we come to this place and we say, Jesus is worthy of my praise. I'm gonna bring it to him tonight. And I pray we wouldn't just do it because he deserves it, but also we do because we know that, that when we worship Jesus changes us. All right, so if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, I wanna pray for us here. And I'm gonna give you two opportunities to respond tonight to Jesus. And the first way is this. If you came in here tonight, and if you're honest, you have never put your faith in Christ, or maybe you once have in the past, but you've walked away from it. If you're honest, you have not been giving Jesus the worship he deserves through your life. And you have not received forgiveness of sins, and you are not right with God. I pray that you would not miss this opportunity to be made right with God. I pray that you would put your trust and your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. So I'm gonna count to three, and when I do, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to put your faith in him, to say, Jesus, I can't bring anything to the table, but I'm trusting you to forgive me and to be my righteousness. It's a one, two, three. Put your hands up all across this room. I see that hand, I see that hand. I see that hand, I see that hand. Is there any other hands tonight? All right, there's about four or five of us. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm just going to pray a simple prayer of repentance and of putting our faith in Jesus. And as I do, I want you to pray in your heart. Hey, Jesus is not after your lofty words. He just wants you to share your heart with him. So just say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, please forgive me. Just whatever's on your heart, share with him, all right? So Jesus, tonight we just pray that you'd forgive us, God. Jesus, some of us have walked in here tonight and we're not right with you. God, I pray tonight that that you'd help us to repent and and God, that you would forgive us of what we've done. And I pray not only that, but, to, but that you would make us a new creation, that you'd give us a fresh start, Jesus. Just pray for that all across this room, fresh starts in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that our lives would be worshiped to you. All right, one more way to respond. If you're here tonight and you want to make a commitment to bring God your best in worship, like, you, like if you're honest, it's been more about you. It's been about you experiencing something or, or you keep thinking about what you did wrong that week, but from here on out, you want to give Jesus the praise he deserves. I want you to lift your hands to heaven, both hands to heaven. We're going to start worshiping, all right? So uh, put your hands up now if you want. I'm just going to pray. And after I get done praying, we're going to go into a song. I'm just going to challenge you tonight. Do something different. If you don't sing, usually sing tonight. If you don't raise your hands, raise your hands. Just whatever you feel called to do, I pray that you would do that tonight and give Jesus what he deserves, okay? So Jesus, tonight, we just come to you. And God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with this desire to give you the praise that you deserve, the praise that you deserve from every tribe and tongue and nation. I pray that your people would never miss out on an opportunity to give the King of kings and the Lord of lords praise. So God, right now, I pray that as we head into this worship song, I pray that this night we close out with a bang before spring break and we would give, or give you everything we have and that and that this would set us on fire to be people who worship you with everything we got. All right, Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.